right. Once again, good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to be with you. It is good to open God's Word. If you want to turn to that passage in Hebrews chapter 11, that's where we're going to be today. And um, as we get into this, I just want to remind you of where we've been for the last few weeks, okay? So we, we are in Hebrews chapter 11. It is known as the Hall of Faith by some. And I confessed to you guys a couple of weeks ago, and I think I mentioned it again last week, that, that I struggle with that phrase, the Hall of Faith. And it's because it's a playoff of the Hall of Fame, right? And the Hall of Fame is someplace that you'll never find my name, right? You think of the Hall of Fame or you think of all of these great men and women listed in Hebrews chapter 11, and those are the elite of the elite. Those people are awesome. Like, but what's awesome about it is, is that they were commended for their faith. They were approved by God. They were, they were in Christ Jesus. They were in God because of faith and not their perfection. And that's something that I've been trying to stress over these last few weeks, man. This, these on this list are murderers, adulterers. Man, there, there are like people who are broken and sinful at times. And like, so as, as, as Adam was saying this morning, or, or Russ was reading just a few minutes ago, like, we do belong by faith in the hall of faith. Because it's not about perfection. It's not about striving. It's not about, it's not about getting it right every day. But it's about trusting in Christ. It's about faith in him. And, and we've broken that down over the last couple of weeks, right? Faith if I, if I could get right, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that we would hope in something that is greater, bigger, that, that something is Jesus, that the promise that we have awaiting for us beyond this life is great. And because we have seen him in the, in the things that he's created, this unseen God, because we've seen him and beheld him in his scriptures, we have deep conviction, deep faith, deep trust, because as he has spoken, it is true. And like if you just boil it down, faith is really about hearing the voice of God trusting the voice of God and obeying the voice of God. Like all of these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they weren't extraordinary. Their God is extraordinary. There's nothing special about them. If you look like, I mean, some of them like led the people of Israel and they were like had deep like stuttering problems. They couldn't speak. Like they had deep flaws and, and like character flaws and sin issues that they had to deal with. Talk about Samson today, man. The guy, guy had some issues. Guy liked the ladies. Guy was a little promiscuous. But he's commended by God as a man of faith, a man who heard the voice of God, who trusted the voice of God, was led by, obeyed the voice of God. And what did God do? miraculous things, amazing things, because he said yes. And so today, again, we're going to dig into Hebrews chapter 11, the very, very end, and look at a few more names and how they trusted God and how they were men and, uh, men and women of faith. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen there's 16 different names in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We know their stories. We know them because, and the author reminds us a little bit of some of their stories. We've looked at Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. 
Rahab the prostitute we mentioned again today. And as we get into our text today, you see Gideon's name. Right? Gideon is, is one of the judges of Israel. He's the fifth judge of Israel, probably the greatest judge of Israel. People wanted to make him king. But he said, nope, not going to be your king. Nor will my kids be your king, but the Lord God should be your king. There's this great uh, quote that I came across on, uh, got questions out or you ever visit that website? Pretty, pretty great little resource there. It says, God uses ordinary people. This has been my stress over the last few weeks. God uses ordinary people to accomplish his plans. And the key to Gideon's success was his willingness to obey God. Like the key to Gideon's success and the key to our success is our willingness to obey. Gideon went from being a man in hiding, threshing wheat at the foot of a hill, out of sight of the enemy, to vanquishing that same enemy in battle. He was hiding. He was once a hider, but because of his obedience, because of his faith in his God, as he spoke, he vanquished that same enemy in battle. All I want for us as a people is to hear the voice of God, to trust the voice of God, and obey the voice of God. Judges 4 and 5 talk about the story of uh, Barak. He was a commander with the judge Deborah. And what's interesting about him is, is he wouldn't go into battle unless Deborah went with him. I was looking at that this week, and I was like, man, what a man, huh? Like, he's afraid to go into battle unless Deborah comes along with him. Like I said, Samson, we know a little bit of his story. He's a Nazarite with a Nazarite vow. But man, he had some character flaws. But he was commended as a man of faith. He was commended, approved by God, not because of his pristine resume, but because of his faith and his trust and his love for God and his people. And it's listed in our text today is Jephthah. In Judges 11, you hear his story. He's also one of the judges of Israel. He's known as a mighty warrior. But unfortunately, he was the son of a prostitute. To beat the Amorites, he made this stupid vow before the Lord that he would sacrifice whatever came out of his house. And the first thing that steps out of his house was his daughter. Some scholars say maybe he didn't sacrifice her. Maybe he didn't offer her. But maybe he like committed to her to a convent or whatever. It's not really sure, but... But he made a stupid vow before the Lord. He's the son of a prostitute. He's got a past. He's been discounted. He's been uh, maybe told that he can't do mighty things for God. Maybe you feel that way in this room today. Maybe you've got a past that is haunting. Maybe you've got an upbringing that is less than stellar. Maybe the enemy likes to whisper in your ear that you're not going to do anything for God. You're not worthy to be his. The Lord uses broken people. I'm proof, by the way. We're all broken. Like, we all have a story. We all have a past riddled with sin. And some of it, we've, we've caused ourselves. Some of it, it's just, been, it's just been the lot in life that we've been given. But God uses that. And he uses our story. If we trust his voice and we trust uh, what his leading in our lives, God will accomplish great things in us and through us for ultimately his glory. 
We know the story of David, right? A man after God's own heart wrote the most beautiful and real songs in the Psalms. Man, we know his story really, really well. Whether it was when he was a shepherd or a warrior or a king, we know the story of David and he's commended for his faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. And then the last name that is listed is Samuel. You go to 1 Samuel, man, dedicated to God by birth by his mom, Hannah. He's the last in the line of Israel's judges. He anointed the first kings. We know much about the great prophet of Samuel. More great men of God, men of faith. The know you more of their the, 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 know, the more you know of their story, you see how God uses sinful and broken vessels for his glory and for his purposes. I don't know about you, but as I've read this list, more and more, as I, as I reflect on their stories in the Old Testament, I look at it and I go, man, God can accomplish great things in me as well. God can accomplish great things through me as well. And there's that little whisper and that little lie of the enemy that, no, like I can't. There's too much fear. There's too many things. There's too many things to overcome. But I look, all I have to do is I wake up today and I say yes to the voice of God in my life. As I open up those scriptures and I read those words, I read those promises, I read the character of God, I read that as he reveals himself to me, I trust in his character, I trust in his nature, I trust in his promises, and I I obey what he commands. As we do that, he shows up. That's it. This Christian life is not as hard as we make it. He shows up. He does great things. He does miracles. He, we triumph over sin. We, we see his hand move in wonderful and beautiful ways. We don't get the glory. He does. Because we know how broken we are. We know how flawed we are. But we have a great God who we can trust. We're really good at talking up the life of faith. The life of truly following Jesus. That it's the triumphant life. That it's the overcoming life, that it's the abundant life that is found in following Christ, right? And, and it's true. Like when you look at our text today, it celebrates so many of the great feats, so many of the great accomplishments that these great men and women of faith saw in their lifetime. Verse 33 again. Conquered kingdoms, right? That's a triumph. You could be used of any one, uh, a number of these names. Mentioned whether it's David or Barak or, or uh, Samson or Gideon. Verse 33 again says that they enforced justice, right? You've got a list of some of the names of the judges in our text. Verse 33 says that they obtained promises, I think, of Abraham and Sarah in their story. That God promised to them that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in heaven. Of them would be great nations. They obtained promises. Verse 33 again says that they stopped the mouths of lions. Maybe Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's dead. Maybe David, right, as he's tending sheep and has to take on a lion himself as the good shepherd. Verse 34, quench the power of fire. I don't know about you, but my mind goes exactly to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel chapter 3. Verse 34, they escaped the edge of the sword, right? They're delivered from certain death. And verse 34, again, it says, made strong out of weakness. I'm so glad that the Lord 
uses our weakness to magnify himself. Every one of these great men and women had some weakness. The more we know their stories, the more we see their weakness. And I think this is why we avoid community. Like community, like real, true depth of community, of of knowing other people and being known by others. Like, I love what God is doing in our church. I think our community groups are growing. I think some of the intimacy of some of the, the smaller groups around here are growing, and I love it. And there's power in the church being the church. There's power in the community of faith coming together. And I think there's a fear for us to engage in this. And if you're in this room and you're not in a community group, and it's, you know, community groups, they're just the entry point. Whether you're in a community group, whatever, I want you in good, deep community, period. But one thing that keeps us is that the more we know somebody's story, the more we know them, the more we see their weaknesses. And so, like, we can't let people know that. We can't let people see that. But I look at it this way. Our purpose in life is what? To glorify God, right? Simply, Westminster Short Academy, glorify God, enjoy him forever. Chief end of man, that's it, to glorify God. What, how does Kevin glorify God? By acting like he has it all together? No. Thank you. No, absolutely not. What glorifies God is the work of Jesus Christ. What is the work of Jesus Christ? He redeems that which is broken. He redeems and covers that which is sinful. And so as I stand before you as your pastor, or as we get in community one with another, if we are vulnerable, transparent, putting those weaknesses on display, it doesn't, what it does is it magnifies the work of Jesus. It glorifies God in heaven. And and what you see here is you get to know the stories of these men of faith, these men and women of faith, You see their weaknesses more and more. Don't be afraid to let people see your weakness. We've had some some guys in this church uh, in the last year share some of their brokenness, some of their weakness, and some of it it even could be embarrassing fashions. And I've grabbed some of them and pulled them aside, and I said, thank you for being a great leader. Right? We don't think of it that way. Like, they're leading out of your weakness because what it does is it magnifies Jesus. It magnifies the work of Jesus. You read these stories. doesn't matter who it is. You see, if you get to know them more and more, you see their weakness. And boy, what a great God they serve. Verse 34 again says that they became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, right? That could be any number of our heroes that are listed in the Hall of Faith. Verse 35 says, women receive back their dead. This could be a nod back to verse uh, 19 where it says that uh, Abraham received back his son figuratively, right? Sarah receiving back her son uh, Isaac in a figurative uh, sense. Or maybe, probably, this is probably likely here, that it's a reference to the widow at Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. Prophet Elijah. But all of these feats... All of these amazing accomplishments, they were accomplished by faith. That phrase is used 19 times in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. People trusting the voice of God, trusting the leading of God in their lives, saying yes to him, and then watching him do great things. 
And so the life of faith is one of triumph. It's one of a overcoming, right? It's, a, it's the abundant life that Christ talks about in the book of John. Of God doing miracles in the lives of those who trust him and are led by him. By faith, God does miracles. Amen? I'm going to try that again. By faith, God does miracles. Amen? Yeah. I, see, I want you got to believe it. And I know we're not an amen church, so I'm not going to hold you against it. We can be an amen church, just so you know. It's fine. All right. Maybe we just started something here. By faith, God shows up and provides relief and escape from turmoil and pain in great, in great and extraordinary ways. And he still does that. Amen? Amen. But sometimes he doesn't. But sometimes he doesn't. The Christian life, the life of faith, the abundant life in Christ Jesus is one of triumph and overcoming, particularly of sin, death, hell, and the grave. Praise be to God. It's a life of unspeakable joy in Christ Jesus. But it's also one of suffering, of pain, and turmoil. The life of faith is one of triumph in overcoming, but it is also one of suffering, pain, and turmoil. This is where it gets a little less encouraging. I hope not. I hope it's actually much more encouraging. When you look at our text today, not only is there like this column A, right? This column A of all of these great exploits, these great moments of triumph and overcoming, all these great things that God did in these broken people from verses 33 down to 35. You see these awesome things that God has done in the history of the people of faith. Let's read it again. Uh, verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. And then there's a big shift. You can put it like, if you're a person who marks their Bible, you can put like a big line right there in the middle of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Oh, I love that phrase. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens, caves of the earth. So there's all this triumph and all this overcoming. And there's all this pain, turmoil brokenness. Some were tortured, mocked, flogged, imprisoned, stoned. Stoned. And that's not skipping stones, right? That's not these little, these are these big two-handers. Skulls bashed in with giant rocks. Sawn in two, verse 38. Tradition has it that that is the prophet Isaiah. 
that he was sawn in two. Look through some early uh, Christian historian, early uh, Jewish historians. You look through some of their writings, and um, there's an indication there that, that it was the prophet Isaiah that he was stuffed in a sack and then in a hollowed-out tree and then sawn in two. Like, and we're not talking, like, this isn't techn- This isn't a chainsaw. This isn't some, you know, sawzall. Like, this is primitive. This is slow. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated, going about in goatskins, wandering deserts and mountains. Think about many scriptures that talk about us being strangers and exiles in this world. Not rooted and settled, but yet I find my heart longing to be rooted and settled in this life. Right? There's like a tension in us. Look at the bank account. Man, that, sh- that could be a little higher. That could be a little bit more comfortable than it is right now. Life is usually a little bit of column A, where it's triumph and overcoming, and it's a little bit of column B, where it's the brokenness, it's the trial, the temptation, the anguish. And you don't get to choose which column you spend most of your time in. There's a meme floating around at the beginning of the year. It's funny. I think it was a monkey on a, on a phone. And it said, me calling God to make sure I signed up for the blessed and highly favored package for 2024 and not the trials and tribulation package. Right? You guys see that floating around? Like we get to pick which part of the column, like which, which part of Hebrews chapter 11 we get to live in and sit in. The life is usually a mix of both. Some of you in this room, you've experienced some wonderful triumphs, some wonderful overcoming. Some of you are coming out of a season or maybe in the middle of a season now where it sucks. It's hard. It is trial and it is anguish. It is full of pain and God, please intervene. It's real. That's, that's life. And life has seasons. Like, right? We have four seasons. Well, in Wisconsin, we don't have four seasons. We have like 10 seasons. We're in the middle of false spring right now, right? Or something like that. Get those 50-degree days and you're wearing shorts. We think that there's good seasons. and We think that there's bad seasons, right? Some of triumph and blessedness and comfort. And it's always that way in Christ. But even situationally, those, those seasons can feel good to us. Then there's bad seasons where it's struggle and it's lack. We're stressed out and it's usually over natural or earthly or or fleshly concerns. But there are no bad seasons and there are no good seasons. There's just, it's just life. There's no bad seasons, just less comfortable ones. And I say that because in the scriptures, in Romans chapter 8, it tells me that all things work together for good for those in Christ Jesus. Not bad seasons. There's less comfortable ones. There's harder ones, yes. There's more painful ones, yes. But is it bad? And please understand, I, I, I'm not trying to downplay anyone's situation right now. I know some of the stories in this room. I know that there are some that have recently gotten some uh, horrible diagnosis. There's sickness, there's turmoil, there's pain, there's loss happening. There's loss happening in this room. And some of you, like I said, you might be in the hardest season of your life, so please don't 
Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to downplay that. What I am trying to amplify, magnify, is our good and gracious God who promises in Romans chapter 8 that he works everything for good for those that are in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, those are commended people, people, people who are in faith. Verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Thank you, Jesus. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Thank you, God, that you intercede for us. You realize that? Like when you come into Christ, he doesn't just go, pop, good luck. He's walking with you by his spirit. He's interceding for you as you journey through this life. And he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the, uh, what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus in order that he might be the first among his many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God's will for you is for you to image Jesus, be conformed into the image of Jesus, that your faith would be deepened and grow, and he uses all means possible. And that's why those bad seasons of our life, those painful seasons, those ones of turmoil, still there is great good in those seasons because we serve a good God who uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And his purposes for us is for us to image Jesus more and more, that our faith would grow in him And as he does that, guess what? We walk through those trials more boldly, more confidently. Man, we have that confidence and that assurance that Hebrews keeps telling us about. He does that wonderful work in those bad seasons. He knows what's good. His will and purpose is good. And unfortunately, we are just children sometimes wanting comfort. But I'm so grateful that we don't define what is good. He does. And we can trust him and we can trust his will. And so we must, we must have a theology of suffering in our lives. We must have a theology that includes suffering at the very least. Jesus, of course, said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. We think of the cross, right? We think of that as that imagery of dying to ourselves that, that we hear through Scripture, we hear through Paul's writings. We must die to ourselves. If we want to be resurrected to that life in Christ, we must die to ourselves. I used to always say, particularly around baptism season, when we're doing our baptisms down by the lake, man, our first step in following Christ is following him in his death. But that cross, that's not just death. That's anguish. That is a painful death. That is a denial of self that is excruciating. That's where we get that word from. Saying no to the world is excruciating. Saying no to temptations, saying no to the enticements that this, saying no to the American dream is hard. It's painful. 
There's so many great scriptures pointing to the fact that following Christ does not make life easier, but it is joy-filled. There's many scriptures that talk about suffering. I'm going to just rattle off a few of them here. First Peter, man, First Peter is an awesome book. Covers a lot of suffering. 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You ever cried out to God and go like, God, why? Why is this happening? Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised if it's something strange is happening to you? But rejoice, verse 13, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you might also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Our life is to reveal the glory of God. Through those trials, through the pain, through the turmoil, Christ be magnified. First Peter 1, go back a few chapters. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. A lot of rejoice talk. In suffering, what? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. First Peter 5, verse 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal uh, called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That sounds like triumph. That sounds like overcoming. You see the good, the really good, necessary work, refining, sanctifying work that God brings about in suffering. Romans 8, 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed. Romans 5, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. It has a work it's doing in us, folks. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. James 1, we've referenced this over the last couple of weeks. Count it joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for we know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. One of my favorite verses. This has been a theme for me this last year. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Put that in context of, of Hebrews chapter 11. The, the, the conviction of things not seen are God. Hallelujah. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love that verse because I love the contrast that it's com- comparing. Like our trials, like our pain, the turmoil that we face. Man, they feel heavy, don't they? It feels heavy at times, man. There's been times where I've collapsed on the floor in anguish. Under the weight of that, under the weight of that pain. When I read this verse here, I look at the, the, the light momentary affliction versus this eternal weight of glory that is to be revealed. Like, Think about that turmoil. Think about that pain. Think about the heaviness of that. It is light and momentary compared to the glory of God, the weightiness of God, the eternal nature of the glory of God. That's 
what we are waiting for. That's what we are looking forward to. That's that hope, the things we hope for, is the eternal weight of glory being revealed to us completely. Think about the story of Joseph. If you've been doing the uh, Bible in a year plan, you maybe read this a few weeks ago, right? Man, what a story. Sold into slavery, right? Brothers beat him up, throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, rises up. Potiphar's wife accuses him of something, runs out of the house naked. Ah, back in prison. Interpreting dreams, rises up again, finds himself, right? The right-hand man of Pharaoh. To save his brothers that beat him up and threw him in a pit, that sold him into slavery. To save nations, to save multitudes. And what I love is, is, that, is that line, I believe it's Genesis 50. That what you meant for evil, God worked for good. Like God ordained that life. God ordained that struggle. God ordained that beating in a pit. God ordained that imprisonment and that false accusation. And he was working an eternal weight of glory and, and a redemption story that is just beautiful. We've got to get it through our brains that the life of Christ, the life of faith, the abundant life in Christ is not hinged on or depended on or dictated by our circumstances. Whether good or bad, our abundance, our joy-filled life, our life of faith is about Christ and the fullness of joy that comes from following him. And that fullness of joy that is found in him, it transcends everything. Transcends sickness, cancer, divorce, loss, heartache, fear. But it also transcends family, the birth of a child, a new exciting relationship. Transcends a promotion or, or a new job or a raise or a successful life in business transcends the good stuff of this life it transcends the bad stuff as well so how do we become a people of faith who live for christ no matter what the journey no matter what the circumstance no matter what the outcome how do we become a people who live by faith that phrase 19 times in the in the 11th chapter by faith they did this. By faith they did this. By faith they did this. By faith they suffered affliction and turmoil. Sawn in two. By faith. What? How do we become this people? And I think it comes back to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 32. But we recall the former days when you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They suffered the loss of everything. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They suffered through that because they knew the possession that they had in Christ Jesus. Verse 35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you 
have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We have a lot of possessions, folks. Like, here we are in affluent suburban America. We have a lot of possessions. We are the rich, just so you know. We are like in camel, eye of the needle territory. Just being honest. You look at us versus the rest of the world, that's how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. We have a lot of possessions. Paul mentions how he suffered the loss of all things. He had this great resume. He had this great um, history. Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, kept the law to the nth degree. And yet, when he came face to face with Jesus, he saw the surpassing worth. We have a greater possession and an abiding one. And the only way that we will live this life and we will live it by faith is if he is our greatest treasure and the most abiding one. And because of him, we will gladly suffer the loss of all things. We will renounce this world. We will renounce the stuff of this world, the trappings, the enticements of this world because of the the greater possession and the more abiding one the surpassing worth that it is of just simply knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm going to read that passage and we're going to conclude this morning. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteous, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, excuse me. That I might know him and in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain resurrection from the dead. Paul saw the great and abiding possession that was his Lord Jesus. It is my prayer for us as a church, particularly as in the context that we are in, that we will see the greater, more abiding treasure that is Jesus Christ. One thing about that passage of the camel and the eye of the needle basically says that it's impossible, right? It's impossible. That's, that's, that's the image that they're trying to create, that it's impossible for that to happen, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But there is an end of that verse there, and I don't have it on the top of my head right now, but it says, but with God, all things are possible. But with God, all things are possible. And what he does right now is in our hearts, he awakens them to the beauty and the majesty, and the treasure that is knowing Jesus. Above everything. 
that causes these hearts to see and behold, to hear the voice of God and to trust the voice of God and then say yes to the voice of God. And then our life is just whatever it is. The triumphs, the overcoming, praise God, it's all to his glory. The trials, the turmoil, the pain, the hurts, praise God, it's all for his glory because I have a deeper and more abiding treasure that is Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's my prayer for us today as the band comes and we conclude. Church, we can live by faith when Christ is the surpassing worth. We can see God. We will see God do mighty things. Things of triumph. Things of overcoming. Things of answered prayer. We will see miracles by faith. And I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying for them daily. We will by faith. When we live by faith that Christ is the better abiding, enduring possession. And, and we will endure. We will persevere through trial and hardship. We will endure through temptations and persecution if we do it by faith in Christ Jesus, our better and abiding treasure. As we go to a time of worship, I want you to consider those words and I want you to consider your life. Consider the living of your life. Are you living with Christ as the better, more abiding, greater treasure? Is the outcome of your life living that way? If not, today we repent. Repentance, guys, do not be afraid of repentance. Repentance is beautiful. It is like as the Spirit speaks to us, it speaks to our life, speaks to how it's incongruent with the Scriptures. We confess that sin, we repent of that sin, and we bring our lives in alignment with the Scriptures. And He blesses it. He reveals more. Mm, God, I pray today for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, that where we've lacked faith, where we've been believing lies about you, mistrust of you. Maybe the, the, the enemy of our souls has been whispering some, some, some really deep, horrible lies about who you are and whether or not you're trustworthy. God, today I pray that you would expose those. And God, that we would trust you, that we would trust your word, that we would see and behold Christ Jesus as that better possession, that abiding one, the greater treasure, that surpassing worth, that we would abandon our lives for you. Every bit of it. God, that we would sow these lives into the field of the gospel for the glory of Christ Jesus. That we would be a men and women of faith. That we would be a church that live by faith. And we will give you glory. And we will give you glory, God, when we see miracles. We will give you glory, God, when we're walking through trials and we do that together in community. We will give you glory, O oh God. For you are the better possession. Let's stand up and let's worship together. We thank you, Jesus.